another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Charlie, today we have a guy who, uh, you said this in our long conversation before we actually started taping, that uh, it's hard to believe he's going into his seventh year as a pro. He came to Milwaukee green, inexperienced, didn't know where to go, and now he's this worldly playoff hero signing with the Anaheim Ducks. He's got it all going for him. He's Justin Kirkland. Justin, it's good to see you. How are you? Yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. It's uh, it's awesome to reconnect with you guys here. Uh, although it's just over Zoom, it's great to see you guys again. Um, it's, un- yeah. it's unbelievable to me to think that you've been gone almost four years. It doesn't right. seem that way. Does it seem that way to you? Uh, it, it doesn't. No, it's... Um, I mean, like you said, I, I'm all of a sudden going into my seventh year pro now. And it, it, like I said, it, it feels like, you know, a couple of years ago, I was just coming into Milwaukee for my rookie season. So, um, you know, time, they say time flies when you're having fun. Um, so I guess that must be true because, uh, you know, I, I've been enjoying this ride. Um, you know, it's taken us all over uh, America and, uh, you know, we've been taking it one year at a time, but we've, we've loved every step of it. You know, real quick, I, I want to follow up because you said all over America, but last year, the COVID year, you actually spent in Calgary uh, and just staying in Canada with the minor league team and flying around only in Canada. And I think playing a lot of games in Winnipeg, if I'm not mistaken. So what, what was last year like for you when it wasn't the normal everyday type of season? Yeah. Last year was completely different than, you know, what we're used to. Um, they decided to keep the team in Calgary. Um, that was a decision that was made, uh, you know, kind of as camp was going on, we weren't really sure where we were going to go. They announced we were staying in Calgary. Um, for me, you know, besides the weather in California, it was, it was exciting. Um, getting to stay a little bit closer to home, uh, not having to do a big move down to the U S we were already living in Calgary at the time. Um, so yeah, it, it had a lot of positives for us. Um, you know, the, the year wasn't easy with all the COVID situations that were going on, you know, I'm sure you guys understand it was a little bit more strict in Canada than it was there. So yeah. um, that season was pretty much spent at the rink and then at our townhouse that we were renting. Um, we were ordering groceries online, uh, you know, just getting out for walks with the dog. That was pretty much our excitement. Um, it was, you know, difficult at times being on the road for, you know, we were flying to Ottawa for four games in a row or flying to Toronto for three games in a row, which is, you know, different from the typical schedule. So um, it definitely had its um, ups and downs. It was, it was a little bit different. Um, but like I said, it's one of those things where you have to learn to go with the flow. Uh, you need to be able to adapt. And, um, you know, we ended up having fun with it. It was a fun year. We had a great group of guys. Um, it was just different as we were playing, you know, I think we ended up playing 30 games that year. Um, I think I played 16 as I had a pretty bad ankle injury that year. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough at times, but, um, you know, it's looking back on it now and definitely in the future, it'll be a cool experience to be able to talk about. You know, we, we've, I, we've asked a fair, a fair number of guys this, and I'm wondering what's your opinion of playing that year without fans? Like how, what, how surreal was that when you're just like you, like, and maybe guys, you don't realize what kind of emotional buildup you get from the fans, even if sometimes there's not a, if the building's not packed but you still draw energy from them. And then to play in front of crowds that wasn't playing in front of nobody. Like it's, it's, is it like practice? Is it like, how do you get yourself pumped up? Yeah. I, I remember vividly stepping on the ice for the very first game. Uh, we were playing against Laval in Calgary and obviously the first game of the year we hadn't played since what was it? March the year before. And we were starting right. in February. It was almost a full calendar year. So there were definitely a lot of emotions. Guys were amped up. It was exciting. You know, we were finally getting to do what we love. Um, you know, as we stepped out first period, I felt like there was tons of energy. Guys were excited. And then after that, like you said, it kind of felt like it almost turned into an exhibition game or like you said, a practice. Um, so being able to find a way to get excited and, and, you know, it's, it's our profession. We need to be ready to play each game. Um, so that year you needed to find a new weight and a new, maybe a new drive, um, to find that, to find that energy and stuff to play on those nights. Cause it was completely different. I don't think I, any of us want to go through that again, but I think 
that experience made us better or it made us smarter or it may, it was an experience, I guess, but we, we learned a lot from it on how we handle things internally, how we handle things externally, all of that. Right. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, at times you get caught up in, you know, your own career, what you're doing and stuff. But I think when See, and that's just it, right? Like you, you had no, you're around the team for two hours and then you got to go home. Yeah. So now like for me, that's my biggest trap is, okay, now I'm alone with my own head and now I'm in trouble. Yeah. It's, it's, it's completely different. Um, I think, you know, what it, what it taught me personally was uh, you really realize what in your life is important to you outside of your profession. Um, And for me, that was, you know, family and friends, um, you know, the health of the people that you love. Um, to me, that was, you know, what took over for those two years was, you know, as, as long as everybody, you know, in my circle was happy and healthy. And um, that was really what mattered to me, uh, you know, over those couple of years. Like I said, you had to find a way to, you know, get excited and get ready to play as, as that's what our job was to do. But um, at the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, the people you care about, the people that you have around you, um, you know, making sure people were happy and healthy and, and doing all right. Um, obviously, you know, a big conversation over COVID became mental health and, um, you know, making sure you're there for other people, etc. Um, I think that was a fantastic thing to come out of it. I think people now realize that, um, you know, you, you need to make sure you're there for other people. Um, and, you know, like we always say, if, if you need to talk, there's people out there you can talk to. And, um, I thought that was a, a huge thing that came from COVID. So uh, if there's one positive, I guess we'll take that. I think that's a, that's a good point that you make too, is it wasn't just, it's not, it was, it was an emphasis on mental health, but now you're seeing that emphasis applied to from an organizational standpoint, right? Like in yeah. Milwaukee, we always had Doc Solomon, Dr. Solomon here, right. Or in Nashville, yeah. but yeah. It wasn't, that was more of like, uh, eh, you know, if you need him, he's there and he comes in once a year, but now they, there is specific <laughs> emphasis on the mental health of players because it's a, it's a grind. It's difficult. Yeah. You're a professional athlete. Yes. You're making a fair amount of money, but it's also, it's, it's difficult to be away from family to us and especially in COVID to be isolated. And I don't want this whole podcast to be like COVID, right. Where there's a lot more to talk about. Um, but there's, it's a really good point you make that there, that mental health discussion is happening on a much larger scale now because of it. And that, that's beneficial for you as an athlete and everyone involved. Yes, absolutely. No, it's, I, I agree completely with that. Um, yeah, I think uh, over, like I said, over the past two years, you've really, really gone to understood what, what really matters in your life. And, um, you know, it was, it was a tough time for a lot of people. Um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't easy for everybody. Um, so yeah, at, at the end of the day, you know, hopefully we're on to bigger and better things now with hopefully that in the rear view mirror and, uh, you know, we can move on and take the things that we learned from it and apply that to, uh, you know, to our everyday lives going forward. Let's go back. We talked about uh, the start of your career coming to Milwaukee for the first time in the fall of 2016. Um, what was that like for you trying to get your feet wet after uh, you'd been to the Memorial cup, right? You guys won the Western league championship. You'd been to the Memorial cup. You'd had this success as an individual and as a team. And now you got to make your way as a pro. What was it like those first couple of months? It took a while. I I went and looked back and you didn't have your first goal until after Christmas. Yeah. You're a guy and you're a guy who is known for his shot and, and all of that. I mean, how, how difficult was that for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was mentally draining. Um, you know, like I, like I said, coming into Milwaukee, um, not even the hockey side of it, but you know, the lifestyle of it, um, coming into pro, you know, all of a sudden you're expected to go and find your first place to rent you you know, you have to go and get your social security number. You're, you know, you, you have all these other things that you're trying to balance. And, you know, at the time I came in, I think I had just turned 20 years old, um, you know, living, 2000 kilometers away from my family and my parents. Um, you know, luckily I had Madison, my wife with me to, to kind of, um, you know, navigate through, um, that transition to the pro lifestyle. Um, and then on the hockey side of things, I didn't exactly know what to expect. I didn't grow up in a city where, you know, I had a bunch of friends that had gone on to play pro who I could, you know, talk to and stuff like that. Um, 
I kind of came in blind, to be honest. You know, I, I remember, um, you know, out of Milwaukee training camp, I was kind of the 13th, 14th forward at the time. And, you know, I was, I was just thrilled to be around. I was excited. I, you know, had a lot of, a lot of energy and, and, you know, ready for my chance. And uh, I remember Paul Fenton calling me down to uh, the lobby to inform me that I was going to go down to the East coast to play some games. And I think that was the first time that I'd ever heard about the East coast hockey league. Is that right? Uh, I, I didn't know exactly how the ranks had worked. Um, I remember landing in Cincinnati thinking where, you know, where am I? What's, what's going on? You know, sh should I go back to junior maybe for another year? Like, what should I do? Um, and, you know, luckily I, I stuck it out. I, I put my nose to the grindstone, got to work down there and, um, you know, I was able to come back up and, and, uh, you know, find, find a spot on the team. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, not, not getting my first pro goal, uh, into December was, um, you know, very frustrating at times. Like you said, I felt like I had the tools. It was just, it was a matter of them all clicking together. Um, but you know what, as bad as it was that I didn't score for the first, you know, 25 games, I happened to score on my first pro goal on December 28th, uh, with my parents in the crowd. And it was on my dad's birthday. Oh so, my gosh. You know what? Things have a funny way of working out. And that was, you know, that's a memory that I'll have uh, for the rest of my life. So does he have the puck then? Yes, we do. have. We do have the puck. Uh, I'm in his office right now. I don't think it's out, but we do have the puck somewhere in the house. So that's a great uh, gift. huh? That was, that was a special one that, you know, getting to walk out of the um, dressing room after the game and seeing my mom and dad there. Uh, you know, they knew what I was going through uh, mentally with the frustration and stuff of not being able to score to, so to be able to, you know, celebrate with them afterwards with my wife, Madison, who, you know, was <clears throat> my rock all along pushing me. Um, it was, it was an, an amazing feeling. And to be able to give him that puck was, uh, you know, one of the fondest memories I have. Do you, do you remember the goal? Uh, I mean, obviously you certainly remember the goal, but like take us through the goal, how it happened. Do you remember who the goalie was is really what the question I wanted to ask. I pulled up the score sheet. I've got uh, it here. Yes. It was Alex Stalock, I believe. Yeah, it sure was. Sure was yeah, against Iowa. Yeah. I, re I remember it. Um, it's funny. Did you look up to your parents after you scored or was it just like, thank God, like this huge weights lifted and you're just like, here it we was, go. It was a who huge grabbed the puck, by the way, who grabbed the puck, <laughs> you know? I'm trying to think who I was playing with at the time. I'm not exactly sure who grabbed the puck, but I do remember exactly how the goal had happened. And it was hilarious because, uh, you know, Scott Ford came up to me after the game and it was one of the, you know, kind of neutral zone regroups that we were working on all week in practice. And, you know, we had kind of, we had executed it to a T. I can't remember who passed it to me from defense cross ice. And I had a little bit of extra room and let go of a slap shot, which, um, you know, if you would have asked me, would that have been my first goal? I, I probably wouldn't have said it was a slap shot like that, but um, you know, I, I just remember it. Remember it going low glove. I remember it hit him, but it kind of just powered through him and trickled in. Um, and that was, like you said, the the weight of the world off my shoulders. It felt like I, I could be wrong on this, but I think it was uh, TV star rapper Joe Diaby who made yes. the pass to you. You're Aaron. You're right. Assuming that the that the scoring is is correct here, it's. And the, both the assists are to defensemen. It's Jack. It's uh, your goal from Diaby and Jack Doherty. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Um, you know, Jack's Jack's uh, still a good friend of mine. So um, that's that's nice that we brought up his name. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. What What do you remember about that first team? About the guys on that team? Because it was it was an interesting team. It was an older team. Uh, and then and, it got older when Mike and then it got, exactly and that was sort of, sort of what I wanted to get to also like just talk about that you know that some of the characters on that team uh like Harry Zollner Chuck like this guy is a boy he's an interesting guy he's funny he's interesting but it's also uh, uh, you're a quiet guy like how do you how do you attack the locker room uh, aspect from that right do you get in on it and you, you got to take the chirps too because you're a rookie but do yeah. you give them back how does that work <laughs> You know, I, I was never one in my rookie year to really give them back. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate my first year there to have, you know, some some veterans who had been around the league and, and you know, that I got to lean on, that I got to talk to and, you know, pick their brain a bit. Um, I still think one of the best things that ever happened to me that year was uh, when I walked into the dressing room, my stall was next to Mike Leambus. And at the time, obviously, I wasn't you know, I didn't, I didn't know him. I was a little bit terrified of him <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but 
he well, you shake his hand and you got fingers going every which way on his <laughs> hand right yeah he is, he is a one-of-a-kind man um still to this day he's he's a good friend of mine um you know i was able to see him a couple of years ago in winnipeg uh in the summertime i got to you know meet his kids um which was just awesome you know he's, he's doing great now but he was the guy that i really lent on my first year um he i, I don't want to say a big brother because that's a little too cliche but um he was a guy that was there for me um you know he taught me the you know he showed me the ropes he, he taught me the way to you know treat people around the organization uh you know ways to treat the trainers stuff like that little things that really um you know go a long way and can really help you stay in the league longer by being a good person by being a good teammate um you know so to be able to lean on a guy like mike who is you know he's been around he's been in all these different leagues um he he knew what it takes and he did it the hard way and um so you know shout out to him he was a, a fantastic teammate um a great guy for me to learn from and then obviously we had you know guys like trevor smith who had played in the nhl um unreal to learn from him pick his brain and I think for me in my rookie year two, having, having Madison there with me, um, you know, a lot of the older guys had girlfriends, wives, kids, et cetera. And I think, you know, Madison getting in with the girls helped me get in and, you know, hang out with the older guys a little bit more, which, you know, really gave me valuable life lessons, lessons around the arena. Um, you know, get to see the hard work that goes into it every single day. Um, it was, it was a fantastic leadership group we had. We had Justin Florick. Um, like you said, Harry Zolnerchuk, who is, uh, uh, if you haven't seen that guy in a locker room before, he's, he's one of a kind, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we had guys like them, Adam party who came in, who's still a friend to this day. Um, you know, it's, you could go down the list of even not the veteran guys, uh, Alex Carey, Anthony Richard, Jack Doherty, who was my roommate. Um, that first year we had Anders Lindback. Um, you know, for me to get to play with some of those guys who had been in the NHL and stuff, it was, it was absolutely thrilling. I was, I was living the dream at 20 years old. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> fantastic teammates who, you know, helped me find my way and stuff. It's, uh, you know, big credit to them. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be, uh, to be friends with them still to this day. So, um, <clears throat> nothing but positive, positive things to say about that first we'll, year. We'll get back to all of that in a second, but I'm curious now, are you that guy? You talk about Mike Liambas. Are you the guy to put your arm around the, the rookie who comes into the room now in Stockton or wherever it may be? Uh, you know, I, I try to be. Um, you know, this this past year was a year where I got to be, you know, in the leadership group and the leadership meetings and stuff like that. Um, and that was the one thing that I wanted to, you know, let the group know right from the start is if you have any questions, concerns, anything like that, whether it's on the ice about hockey or about life, um, I'm there to talk. I'm an open book. Um, you know, I, I hope that guys, you know, see me that way and I try to express myself that way. So, um, you know, it's like you said, you learn from guys like that who have done it and then you try to implement that the same way because you know how much it means to you. And then does your wife have to take that role with their girlfriends and wives as well? <laughs> you know, she, she definitely has, uh, she did last year. I know she was, uh, I think she was kind of the ringleader there and getting, uh, you know, getting all the girls' phone numbers, making sure that that's so important. People oh my gosh, understand is how it important, so that important that is. Yeah. And, and, you know, this past year in Stockton, we had, you know, I, I loved my teammates in Milwaukee, but I have to say hands down, it was, you know, the best full group of guys that I've, that I've played with. Um, and with that, we also had the best group of girls, girlfriends, wives that were there that all got along um, you know, my wife was making sure if any girls were coming into town, Hey, here's my number, text me, I'll walk to the game with you. I'll go to the game with you. I'll introduce you to the girls. Um, so, you know, I, I think she's, you know, she's a social butterfly. She's very friendly. She can be friends with anybody and, and she does an awesome job of that. Um, you know, and, and I try to make sure I'm doing the same thing too with the guys. So, um, I know how much it meant to me when I had guys doing that for me. So, um, you know, that's something that's important to me going forward. You mentioned, you mentioned Pontus Aberg and Pontus, I thought was one of the sneakiest funny guys that we've ever had. It takes a long time to figure out Pontus Aberg, but once you do, this guy cracks you up because he's such a dry sense of humor. <laughs> and like, you can't tell if he's serious or if he's joking, especially early on, but then you realize he's joking about everything and it's pretty funny. Yeah. He, like you said, he has that dry sense of humor. 
um, which I think is a little bit similar to mine in that way where, you know, he is, he is one of the most sarcastic guys I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, and like you said, it didn't, I probably didn't realize that, you know, people used to call him grumpy and stuff because you just sit there and not say anything, but he's got all these thoughts going on in his head that he's probably laughing to himself about. Um, and it was until I started, um, I started getting rides with him going over to MSOE for practices. Yeah. And then I think I really started to go to know the real Pontus. And like you said, he, he, he cracks you up. He's kind he's of, in that... his own, he's in his own world a little bit, but at the same time, he's, <laughs> he's probably sitting there, you know, thinking in Swedish to himself, laughing about other guys and stuff like that. Like, like you said, he's, he's a comedian once, once he opens up a little bit more and, um, yeah, he was, he was hilarious. And he's got that deep voice too, that, which it makes it even better. I think it's just, it's yeah, just you don't really expect it from him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So what was it, what was it like to play for, for Dean Ebison when you were, uh, when you were here, Dean's, uh, had obviously had good success in, uh, in the NHL with, the, with Minnesota. And what was it like for him to be your first coach, uh, in the, as a pro? Yeah, I, th I think I was lucky to have him as a coach my first year because um, there there was no bullshit with him. It was, you know, here's where you stand. Here's what you have to do if you want to play more. And, you know, he was very open and honest. Um, and I appreciated that. At the You know, at some times where you hear and stuff you didn't want to hear, yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, you're better off because of it. That, and, I was going to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's tough. That's probably tough as a rookie when you're coming from, yeah. Did you get, hear that in, in, in growing up or even in the, in the Western league, probably, but never, you're never probably in that same way. Right. Where you're just, you're fighting, you're fight you're yeah. battling every day. Yeah. And obviously at that point, you know, you're realizing it's a job. There's other guys that are going to, you know, come in and, and try to take your job from you. So yeah, at times, was it tough? And, you know, did I always like what he had to say? No, but, you know, I had to go home and, and really process what he was trying to say. And at the end of the day, he was trying to make me a better player. And that's, you know, what I appreciated from him was, like I said, there was no BS. He was honest with you. He was open. Um, you know, he had an open door policy with his office if you ever wanted to talk. And, you know, there are times where I went in there and, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways, you know, where I can improve or watch video with him and stuff like that. So, um, you know, he always had the time of day for, uh, you know, wanting to make guys better. And um, he was also uh, what I would describe as a player's coach as well. He, uh, you guys know, Dean, he's also a jokester. He's, he's funny. He's, you know, being, he's in around the dressing room, joking around with the guys in the morning and stuff. And um, yeah, it was, it was awesome to be able to learn from him uh, my first two years. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see him having the success he is there in Minnesota. You know, you, when you get turned pro, and again, you, you, it's, it's a new coach, it's a new lifestyle, it's all of this stuff, but it was also your fourth coach in four years. Yeah. Coming from Kelowna, you had three coaches your last three years, great success under all three of them. Yes. My goodness. Like how you're a young, you're still a kid, you're a young man go, going through four coaches in four years. That's, that's a lot to deal with. Yeah, it's it's different. And I I guess I think what it taught me or what I took from it was every single year having a different coach, I needed to make sure that I proved myself over and over and over, you know, making sure that the head coach understood what I could bring to the team, you know, different um, scenarios that I could play, penalty kill, power play, um, you know, late game situations, uh, you know, taking face off, stuff like that. Um, so when you have a new coach come in, you know, they obviously do their research and look things up and stuff like that, but that's very different from, you know, being behind the bench and understanding, you know, what this guy's all about, what this guy's all about. So it, it was different having a new coach every year, learning some new systems every year and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, you know, you try to take the positives from it and move forward. And for me, that was, Hey, you need to make sure you're coming to work every single day proving yourself in practice, proving yourself in games and making sure that you're gaining these coaches trust. Um, and, you know, I think I've gotten to that point in my career now where, uh, you know, I had another new coach last year and, um, you know, I, I tried to prove myself to him and, and earned a lot of trust. And, um, you know, that helped me have, you know, my career year. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of credit to the coaches too, who have implemented each coach brings something different. They implement, you know, different tactics, 
different mindsets, different ways of pushing, pushing buttons, you know, trying to get the team going and stuff like that. So um, I think having that many coaches, I have a very broad perspective and knowledge of, you know, what's expected. Maybe why is he doing this? You know, I can understand it a little bit better. Do you uh, think you get, do you think you get, cause, cause Dean is the first coach you had for two years in a row. Paul Fenton's the first, well, he's the GM anyway, but do you think you get tight cast then? Because you, you didn't get the chance that now they saw you as a rookie and they have obviously expectations for your second year or whatever, but they saw what you did as a rookie. So, okay, we're just going to pencil him in for that. If he gives us any, do you think he, I mean, free agency, I think is such a relief for so many players because now they get a different set of eyes that hasn't seen them for the last two, three years. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. It's like you said, you kind of get penciled in, um, you know, kind of what to expect. Um, you're a penalty kill guy, but you're not a power play guy. You're the, you're a face up, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. It, it, you know, that stuff definitely happens. Um, and like, yeah, coming in, coming in as my first year, you know, as a wide eyed rookie, um, you know, I needed to gain that self-confidence, uh, you know, a little bit of that personal swagger. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, that was probably a little bit of a, of a thing that was going on, but, um, you know, it never stopped me and never took away from any of the good times that I had. Um, so yeah, it was all good. That second year, your second year, where did, how did you get to be the shootout expert that you became? And why, uh, you had 11, you were nine for 11 that year. I mean, and I think you were nine for nine to start, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on that. But where, where did that come from? Because you weren't the 35 goal scorer, you, you know, things like that. So where did that come from? How did yeah, you get in the, uh, line? How did and, you get in the and, lineup there? <laughs> and you you and you use the same move. You should maybe shoot it different, but you use the same move every time, and it worked every single time. And it was like, okay, Kirky's going out first. He's going to do the same move. Here's the fastball. Hit it, boys. Hit the right. And nobody could hit it. I mean, uh, uh, sorry, and I, I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to talk about this. In your career, you're 21 of 32 in the shootout. You missed your first two attempts, so you're 21 of 30 in your last and goalies don't stop that many and you're scoring at that rate. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, well, thank you guys. It's um, yeah, I guess it started back in, in junior uh, while I was with the Kelowna Rockets. And that was kind of a role that I had picked up in as well was, um, you know, finding, I, I was, I was used in the shootout a lot as well in, in junior. Um, so I think it was, you know, working with goalies after practice, finding new little moves. And then, like you said, you you kind of find that one that works. You try to maybe pick a few different variables that you might do depending on, you know, where the goalie's standing, how far out of his crease he is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and like you said, it was, it was funny. I, I don't think I had shot in a shootout yet. And we had gone to Winnipeg to play the Manitoba uh, Moose. Your hometown. And yeah. My, you know, I had uh, probably 25 people in the stands that night. And we went into a shootout and I, what I think happened was Dean Evanson, you know, maybe gave me a little bit of a, Hey, you know, this is, discount here. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. you know, this is your chance. Um, and I went out and I, it was a, a switch handed goalie who was catching right. Um, might've been Michael Hutchinson. Yeah. And I remember it wasn't that same move that I did and I, and I scored. And I think from that point on Dean kept using me in the shootouts. And it was all from, you know, hey, you're in your hometown, your family's here, like, here's your chance. Good luck, buddy. Um, you know, that really turned into, you know, me finding another little niche that I can, you know, try to help the team win. It's uh, interesting. That I want to go back to something you just said that you worked with goalies after practice. So were you actively asking them like, hey, what do you not like to see in a shootout, right? Like here, I'm coming down. Is it and taking that information and processing it? Yeah, it was, it was definitely picking picking the brains of the goalies. Um, you know, that started in junior with some of my goalies, Jackson Whistle. Um, you know, I used to take a lot of <clears throat> a lot of shootout <clears throat> attempts on him after practice. Um, and then into pro, you know, I got to pick the brain of Anders Lindback, who had, you know, seen some of the best shootout specialists in the NHL. Um, so being able to learn from them and then also, you know, trying to apply it on them, trying to, you know, find a move that works. Um, and then, you know, you, you get to that moment where the shootout's happening and, you know, you're thinking, oh, should I do the same move? Should I, you know, switch it up? And, you know, you maybe look at the goalie and say, hey, what do you think? 
And, you know, there's times where they say, oh, yeah, he plays deep in his crease. That move should work. Or, oh, he's going to come out and challenge. Maybe try this. Um, so, yeah, it, it puts a few different thoughts in your head. It gives you the options as you're going in. And, um, you know, as you're going in, you're trying to process the information. And, um, yeah, it's like I said, it's a nice little niche that I've carved out. And hopefully that success continues with the shootout. It's, it's gotten to the point with the coaching there. You guys know going in what a goalie <laughs> – well, obviously you've played 60 minutes against 65 minutes. So if you get to the shootout, um, but you also have a scouting report on the board every night of what that goalie brings to the table and, and things like that, they certainly have it on you. So does it get to the point where when you're deciding the move, it's like, okay, it's a mind game now. Like they might think like, I'm going to change it up, but I know that I'm not going to change it up, but I might change, you know, that kind of thing. Like you can really get twisted around yeah. If you just say, okay, I'm just going to go, this, this is all, I mean, has it become so automatic for you? And I don't want to give any secrets away, but I don't think we are giving any secrets away. If people have watched you, um, does, is it, is it just automatic or, or do you, you know what, this game, I saw this guy, his, his blocker was weak. So I'm going to go that side this time, or I'm going to backhand, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's, the mind are... games, the mind games could be endless on this. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is I, I try not to overthink it too much. You have to uh, be decisive. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I'm a little bit of a warrior. It gets to a shootout and I'm like, Oh, you know, you know, it's, it's stressful. It gives you a little bit of anxiety and it's, you know, some extra sure. um, but you have all those thoughts running through your mind. And, and this year, something that I, you know, started doing was, you know, now the coaches have the little, you know, the assistant coach has the earpiece in that goes up to the goalie coach who's watching all the video and stuff like that. So, you know, a few times I started running into the same goalie that I had, you know, previously done a, this, that move on. So, you know, I'm asking my coach, hey, ask the goalie coach what he thinks. And, you know, there's a few times we said, oh, you know, instead of shooting low glove, shoot five hole. And a couple of times I did and it worked. Um, so, you know, like there's, it's such a mental game between you and the goalie. Yeah. And then also a mental game of you and yourself of, you know, you're, you're trying not to get too, um, you know, too sporadic with your thoughts and be, be curious on, oh, should I do this? Should I change it up? And, you know, you worry too much. So for me, you know, I feel like I start the shootout the same way every time. And, you know, at a, at a certain point around the top of the circles, I start to think, okay, is that move going to be there or am I going to try to switch it up? Um, so, so it's all you have less than a, you have less than a second though, to think, right. It's, yeah, it's very split second. Um, and sometimes you make the wrong decisions. Sometimes you hit the post, it doesn't go in and you know, you're kicking that, yourself. That, that doesn't right. happen very, that doesn't happen very often for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, you know, it's, it's been going in my, in my favor. Um, and like I said, hopefully that continues on. Why do you, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I want to ask it. How do you, why do you think more people aren't copying you in this? Like, I think the, one of the first guys to do the slow move in the shootout was this kid, this guy, he played for us, unbelievable hands. His name was Linus Klaas and he was from Sweden. And he was the first guy I ever remember who went in like no speed, just looked at the goalie, stick handle, stick handle, and either five hole or, or, or roof or backhand or whatever he's going to do. And then a lot of guys copy that, but you are so successful with this, but I don't see a lot of guys copying the way you do it. And is it what, any idea why that is, or maybe they are, and I just don't see it. Um, no, I, I don't think I have an exact reason for it. Um, but what I think what benefits me in that move is I have, you know, long gangly arms and a long stick. And I think that I can use my reach to my advantage where, you know, I leave the puck outside, forcing the goalie to stay short side. And as I'm able to pull it in, I open up that half of the net. Yeah. So I, maybe that could be part of it. Like I said, I don't, I don't have an answer. I'm just really spitballing here. Um, I, I think that my ability to change the angle based on how long my arms and my stick are. Um, I think that can throw goalies for a loop. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's the reason why guys don't, don't emulate it, but um, I think that's, you know, probably one of the main reasons I've had the success that I have with it. You know, the, your success in the shootout uh, <laughs> this last year, you shot the puck more times. Well, I think sixth in the league in shots in the American hockey league this year. That's something that's fairly new, I think, the last couple of seasons. So 
Is that a confidence thing? Is it a role thing? Where where did that come from now that you're, you're almost three and a half shots per game, which is incredible. I remember years ago, Stan Drulia telling me his goal was to have 10 attempts a game. Because yeah. if you go one for 10, you're shooting 10% and you're, you know, you're scoring a goal. So, I mean, yeah. 10% is about the pace. So where did that mindset come from for you? Yeah, it's, I think it was a combination of things. Like you said, confidence definitely plays a factor. Um, you know, I, coming into the season, I had a good training camp. You know, I, f- I felt like I was right there. I think that confidence really drove me at the start of the season. And then once, you know, things started clicking, the pucks started going in the back of the net, it was just, okay, I need to set a target of, you know, I set a target of five shots on net a game. And whether I was, you know, there was games where I had nine and there was games where I had two. Yeah. Uh, but I think also going back a little bit was um, my, my shot in junior was, you know, part of my strength. Coming into pro, you realize most guys can already shoot the puck like that. And it's finding ways to change the angle, quick release, stuff like that. I've worked on it over the years and especially over the past few summers, that was one thing that I really focused on was, you know, going into my garage and shooting 200 pucks a day or, um, you know, staying on on the ice after my summer skates to, you know, work on changing the angle on my release or working on a certain, certain shot. And, you know, I saw those things pay off this year and that was a really rewarding and exciting feeling knowing that you know the hard work that had gone into it was really starting to pay off um so that that was very very motivating and confidence boosting for me what do you think i i've i'm always curious good teams always have tight locker rooms and i'm wondering what your thought is for this past year with stockton you guys were an unbelievable team the best you know you know best a good chunk of the season, the best, good chunk best of the season, in best hockey. Team in American, yeah, yeah, American Hockey League. Are better team, or is it because you're having success that the locker room becomes tighter, or is it because your locker room is tighter then you and the success comes from that? Or and I'm just I'm asking what it was for you guys this past year, not in general. Yeah, yeah I I think that's I think it's tough to pinpoint whether it was you know the wins or the team camaraderie that came first because. You know, we came out of the gates at I think ten and, or nine oh and one or something like that. Yeah. So it was tough to say if you know it was the winning that brought everybody together. Obviously, you know, winning I always say winning solves everything. If you win, you get to have more fun together. You get to relax a bit more. Um, you know, you might get a extra you know day here to get together with the guys and stuff like that. Um, but I completely agree with you when you say good teams are tight are tight dressing rooms. Um, we had such a mix of characters in our locker room this year, uh, you know, led by our captain, Byron Fraze, who, you know, everybody calls dad, you know, he's got a few kids of his own, but he's also got 20 kids in the dressing room. Um, he, he's been a fantastic leader. I've been with him the past three years. Um, he is a fantastic captain who, you know, brings guys together. And then we have, Um, you know, young guys like Jacob Pelche, who had a stellar rookie season, but I hope one day you guys get to meet this kid because he is one of the funniest, most full of life, energetic, joking, charismatic, uh, goofy. Like he, he was really the highlight of the locker room for most of the year with his jokes. And, you know, he's making fun of guys like Alex Gallant, who, could grab him by the scruff of his neck and play pom-toms on his head. So, you know, we had that mutual respect for each other where, you know, we didn't treat the rookies like they were below anybody. We, you know, we focus on treating everybody, you know, the same and equal, but, um, you know, guys understand there's obviously a pecking order to certain things. Um, I don't think that's ever going to change, but, um, you know, there's no more bullying and stuff like that that goes on. It's, Hey, we're, we're a family in here. We're going to be together for the next, you know, seven months. Let's make the most of it. You know, everybody got along. We had a fantastic um, coaching staff as well, who I think really pushed that camaraderie forward. And, you know, we had Don Knockbauer, who's, you know, a longtime NHL, AHL player who comes And a Western league legend as a coach. Yes, exactly. I used to play against him all the time. So, you know, guys like him who would come in and start making fun of guys and, you know, you have that, it was one long 
year of guys joking around, laughing around. It was, to be honest, it was the most fun I've ever had in my career. Um, and, you know, from the staff, the, um, you know, additional staff, like the equipment managers, the trainers, stuff like that. It was really, we had every piece of the puzzle and everybody got along and it was just, like I said, it was one, it was like we rode a high all year long. Um, Your coach, Mitch Love, I remember him playing in this league with Houston and Peoria and he was a blood and guts, do anything. He reminded me a lot and I never met the man, but he reminded me from what I hear from people and what I saw on the ice, a lot of Mike Leambas. Yes. Uh, And then you had Joe Sorella. And I probably have more Joe Sorella hockey cards than anybody in the world. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved the Devils because I, I just did. Um, and Joe Sorella was there. But he finished his career pretty much in Milwaukee. Yes. Did you know that? So did you talk about that at all with him? I did. Yeah. We, you know, I've, I've had him for the past three years. So, um, you know, that was kind of one of the talking points early on when I had gotten to Stockton and, you know, kind of getting to know the staff and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we both had nothing but good things to say about, about Milwaukee. And, um, you know, he got to tell me stories and, you know, places he used to go. And, you know, I'd share my stories and places we used to go in our spare time and stuff. Um, he's a fantastic coach. He, you know, he ran our penalty kill in the defensive side. Um, I believe we finished number one in penalty kill. Um, and he was, you know, I, I got to play a big part in that and I was fortunate enough to learn from him and learn the fine little details that I think maybe I was missing just a little bit before. And that was, you know, stick details, um, stick on puck, um, you know, reading plays ahead of time, you know, forechecking on the penalty kill, all that stuff. Um, he's, he's a big ball of knowledge and uh, he's one of the most humble guys. You would never know that he played in the NHL for, you know, whatever it was, almost, I think it was 800. Eight hundred and twenty-eight games. Yeah, so you know you would never know it by talking about him, but you know the odd day we get Jacob Pelche in the locker room who's throwing on on the TV uh, Joe Sorella hockey fights, and he walks in, <laughs> shaking his head, and all the guys are laughing. And um, like I said, it's just he's a fantastic person. Um, you know, somebody who I'll definitely stay in touch with going forward. So um, he's meant a lot to me in my career. I, if you had, uh, I looked up your stats before, and you know, for the, from the playoffs the playoff run you guys had, and you had seven goals. Um, I've just, conf- just, yeah, seven goals. But if you had asked me, or if someone asked me, how many goals did Justin Kirkland have in the postseason? I'd have said double that because I felt like every time I was looking at a box score and after we were eliminated, especially against Chicago, it was like, you know, Jamie and I would be texting and I would say, oh, did you see Kirky scored again? And it would happen like, oh, he scored again. Like it was, I felt like it was all the time. And so, like, you uh, you guys had an unbelievable playoff run, lost to the same team, unfortunately, that we did. Uh, but just talk a little bit about that playoff success that you, your team had and that you guys had, uh, uh, not, that you, not that you guys had, that you had personally to continue, you know, like, you're scoring a goal every other game. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, it was, you know, it was obviously unfortunate. We fell short, and, you know, we felt like we were right there. Um, that was, that was one that really stung knowing that you're not going to be with that same group of guys again. Um, you guys know how it is in pro the dressing room changes, you know, on a flip of the switch at the end of the season. So that was the one thing that obviously stood out the most was, okay, this is, you know, your last game with these guys. Um, but yeah, obviously we had success, you know, we had Bakersfield first round, which to be honest, uh, we were a little bit worried about. They had given us trouble throughout the season. You know, you're playing a best of five, so anything can happen quickly. Um, they were a really good team. And, you know, luckily we we found a way to, you know, grind out three straight wins. And it wasn't easy. You know, they they pushed us. Um, and, you know, I had, I think, one goal, one assist maybe in that series. Um, you know, we were, my line was tasked a little bit with shutting down, like that shutdown role, um, which I, you know, I thought was – it's fun being able to play that side and then, you know, go and play on the power play and try to score and stuff. Um, and then moving on to there, we were going into Colorado, which I don't know if you guys were there this year or not, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's, you know, probably the toughest building in the, in the league to play in. It's, you know, you have the altitude and then on top of that, you got 9,000 screaming fans for the college to college football atmosphere. Yeah. And it's like, it's awesome to play. And don't get me wrong. It's awesome. It, it makes it a little bit tougher as the visitor. Um, 
but yeah, we, we knew going in with them, uh, we were playing two games at home first, followed by the final three games in Colorado. And we were a little bit worried about those first two games, knowing how difficult it is going there. And I think they had won, it was like six straight games or something at home uh, during the playoffs before we met. Yeah, they, and they scored like 30, 30 goal, 30 combined goals against uh, Ontario in the first round. Yeah, it was it was nuts. They were scoring at will. So we're, we're thinking, you know, in our leadership meeting and stuff, we said we need to focus on we have to win these first two games at home. That is ultimately what we need to do. And um, yeah, you know, I, I had a couple of goals that first game, which I think really got, uh, you know, my confidence going. Um, you know, we got a big win in that game. And then the next game we win one nothing. Um, I had a power play goal, um, but that was, that was such a team win, you know, to win one, nothing, you, you guys know what it's like that very rarely happens. And you need to play, obviously we had Dustin Wolf behind us who was standing on his head every single night, um, which gave the team confidence, but you know, you have to play a pretty solid 60 minutes to, to shut a team like Colorado out. And I thought we did that and we frustrated them. We frustrated their top guys. Um, you know, we, we felt good going into game three. They obviously had, um, you know, that home home momentum. We were winning, I think, 5-3 with, I don't know, 10 minutes left. They tied that up and won in overtime. And that one, that one was tough to swallow, knowing that we're going to have to come back the next night and do it all over again because we were right there. Um, and then we ended up getting that, uh, what was it, the game four? We, uh, we won, and um, that was a really exciting feeling, knowing that we were, you know, the, we had won the division. And, you know, we're looking now for, for the conference, uh, conference finals. So uh, personally, I was really hoping that we were going to see Milwaukee. I would have loved, you know, I haven't had a chance to come back to Milwaukee since, you know, since I played there. So um, it would have been awesome to come back and see all of you guys again and see some familiar faces. But um, how, yeah, on, on, we went on to Chicago and unfortunately. How annoying was, yeah. How annoying was it to go to Chicago that first game and before you even drop the puck to hear those fireworks and the flames on the ice, like I, I heard so many times in your life yeah, before that day, yeah. Like kickstart my heart again. Like, hey, <laughs> didn't you play this before I was born? You were born in '96. They were playing that in '96, Kirk. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I, I hadn't played there as well since I had I had been with the Admirals. So, um, luckily, I knew, I knew what. Yeah, I knew what to expect, and I told all the guys keep you keep your heads down don't look up when these stupid fireworks are going off because you're going to get crap in your eyes and you're not gonna be able to see and we we had a few guys change mid-shift because they can't see because they got stuff in their eyes there's smoke <laughs> all over the ice there's the little black particles sitting on the ice i yeah. still to this day i don't understand why it's a thing why well, and here, here here's here's my big beef with it it's always the visiting team that's picking them up yeah, it's never the hosts. Come it's on. on, it's on their side, right? Which who knows? If you spill, if you if you if you spill dirt on your floor at home, the host is, is cleaning it up. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. Obviously, it's something they've been doing for a long time. So you know, it's at the end of the day, it really doesn't make a huge difference on the game. No, it's no, just, it doesn't. It's, it's just so annoying. annoying. It's more so annoying at the start of it. Um, it's especially but, annoying when they beat you. Yes, that makes it even worse. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. It sure so does. you'd been through the free agency thing before. Uh, the first time when you leave Nashville and sign with Calgary, I'm guessing that was a little more stressful than it is this time around, or am I wrong in saying that? No, you, you are correct. Um, that first year going through it, um, not, you know, I, I didn't have the best year that, you know, my third year in Milwaukee. Um, you know, I, I, I played a lot. I felt like I grew a lot as, as a player, but I, <clears throat> I didn't think that my stats really resembled that. And that sort of worried me, you know, you're, you're trying to get an NHL contract and, and stay on an NHL contract. Um, so going through that, you know, I was talking with my agent, you know, trying to figure out what the best game plan is. And, you know, we had really, we're just getting into the talks of it. And he said, Calgary had called him and made an offer. And I basically had until that night to decide. Of course. Yeah. Nice. So, you know, it, it honestly, it happened so fast that I don't really feel like I went through the whole process of it. Like I, I know my agent had talked to a couple other teams and we were, you know, trying to figure things out, but it was like, bang, Calgary's got an offer on the table. You need but you to have what, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you have what, like three, four days of kind of sweating. 
Like, yeah. Oh, hundred percent. You know, like they, they declined my options. So now what are we going to do? Kind of thing. Right. Exactly. And that was, you know, so I talked to my agent a couple of times over those two days. He said, yeah, I'm going to reach out, talk to the teams, try to get ahead of this. And I'm sitting at home, you know, not being able to sleep at night going, what's going to happen? Where am I going to be? Right. You know, what you think of the worst case scenario, you think of the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, the best case scenario for me was it turned out to be with signing with Calgary. Yeah. Um, so anyways, like I said, they, you know, they offered me a contract. I had, you know, maybe six hours to make a decision if I wanted to do that, or if I wanted to properly test free agency. Um, and we made the decision to jump on it and, you know, spending three years here, uh, with the flames organization was, um, three years of me really developing as a player, um, as a person as well, really growing up. Um, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I, I thank them, I, you know, I got to, got to have a good chat with, um, you know, their assistant general manager who had, uh, you know, been there for three years with me and, um, you know, it was, it was bittersweet having to leave them, um, during this free agency period. But, uh, ultimately, you know, I needed to do what was best for me. And I, I thought that was, um, you know, moving on to a different organization and, and hopefully getting a, an opportunity with Anaheim. So, yeah, yeah. So with, with this choice now, was it kind of the same thing where you better jump on this as soon as you can, or I mean, how, how did this one go? Yeah, this one played out a little bit longer. Um, it was, I think for me, obviously like my real first time going through this process. Yeah. Um, you know, you could wait and you could wait for a few offers and see what's out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, fortunately I, I had a good year at the right time. Um, going into free agency this year so you know there there was some interest out there um it kind of seemed like it came down to about five teams towards the end of it and then you know I got one offer I went to accept it and then we had a little bit of a hiccup the deal fell through and at that time it was the night before free agency so then I'm going okay tomorrow's the day like I'm probably gonna have to make a decision here pretty soon um and that next morning, you know, Anaheim made an offer. Um, my agent just wanted to circle back with other teams to see if there was any more interest. And, um, you know, I, I had a few offers from a few teams, which was, you know, a nice feeling. I felt like I, you know, was valued and, and wanted. Um, so that was exciting. And then, you know, it came down to, uh, you know, opportunity was the first thing that I was looking for. Um, and I felt like, you know, I've, I've got that in Anaheim. I feel like there's, you know, a real chance for me. Um, obviously, you know, lifestyle as well. Um, you know, whether you're in Anaheim or San Diego, it's pretty hard to complain about those two. Um, San Diego has been one of my favorite cities to visit over the past six years. Um, I've always bragged to Madison about how great of a city it is. And she, uh, she always tells me, well, maybe one day we'll get to go one day we'll get to go. And sure enough, you know, uh, there's a chance we can be there this year. So, um, it's that side of it's really exciting. Um, and then obviously at the, you know, it's your profession and your job and it, you know, it comes down to money a little bit as well. Um, that's just the truth of, of the way it works. I'm not going to, you know, BS you guys that, no, of um, course that plays, you know, that plays a big part in guys' decisions. So, um, you know, everything kind of came together for me with, with that deal with Anaheim. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really, really excited to, to get down there probably sometime in mid-August and, and get going. So um, it should be a, a very fun season ahead. That's there too. We talk, about, we talk about Joe Sorella and the old New Jersey Devils. Pat Verbeek was on those teams. So now you're dealing with Pat oh. Verbeek as well. There we go. I'll have to talk to him about Joe Sorella. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. So... Uh, so you you stay in California, but now I mean your your career has been a progression of getting to nicer weather, <laughs> and that's great. Pretty soon you're gonna be. We got to get a team in Hawaii. In Hawaii, something. right? That's yeah. that's about as the only thing better than in uh, San Diego, Anaheim. Hey, I wouldn't say no to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how it works. Uh, you know, I grew up in you know Winnipeg for four years, small town Alberta for you know. 14 years after that um i had never experienced a warm winter until i went down to california my first year in stockton and i'll tell you what it was welcomed with open arms after you know (laughs) 
experiencing experiencing what I had with those you know those previous cities. I lived in Wilcox, Saskatchewan for two years, uh, the home of the Notre Dame Hounds, and that is you're really in the middle of nowhere. And once that wind gets howling and the snow's blowing, like nothing stopping it. No, there's nothing stopping it. So um, yeah, it was it was awesome getting down, uh, you know, getting some decent weather. Obviously, it still cools down a bit during the winters, but um, you know, it's it's nice being able to wear shorts and a hoodie to the rink in, yeah. in winter. And I truly believe that that gives you a little bit extra um, sort of jump in your step. You know, I think I, the, I, I agree. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. When we visit that, when we visit Austin or whatever, yeah, you can totally tell a difference. No doubt. Yeah. So, I, I remember uh, Admiral's former Admiral uh, Sheldon Brookbank told us the same thing. He was playing in the East Coast in uh, Mississippi, I think, and he's like. And, and, and he's like, I, I could be mad at the rink. And then you come out of it and it's like, it's 70 degrees. I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops. I'm going to go play the golf. golf course. Yeah. Right. Like I, how could I be mad? How could I, like how I could, I, it was such so good for his mental health. Yeah, it, it really is. And that was, you know, we, we golfed a lot over the, you know, the two years that we were actually in California, take away the COVID year. Um, <clears throat> that was one thing that we did for uh, team, team fun was we did, uh, we had our own golf league. Um, how's, how's your golf game? I bet you're, you must be good, right? With the hands that you have, I bet you're good. Golf. <laughs> you know what? Um, my golf game's struggling right now. Oh, it uh, is. I'm sorry I've to hear that. Probably uh 10, 12 handicap right now. Um, I didn't get to play as much this year. I had a couple uh, minor wrist and hand injuries that kind of kept me off the course for a bit. Um, but it is definitely something that I'm hoping to do more of, uh, you know, whether it be Anaheim or San Diego, that's something I'd love to, uh, you know, pick up on more. Yeah. Yeah. No Absolutely. doubt. Charlie, you got anything else? Uh, the only other guy, I have one more question I want to ask you because one of your teammates, the predators just signed uh, for, for next year, Kevin gravel, just give a, can you give admirals fans and Hey, uh, hopefully he makes that up in Nashville, but if he's down here, give us an idea of what, uh, what he's like as a, as a player and as a teammate. Yeah. Um, Kevin's one of my probably all time favorite teammates that I've ever played with. Um I hope for him he's in Nashville. I hope for you guys that he's in Milwaukee so that you can get to know him and see what he brings to the rink every single day, what he brings to the team during games. Um, he is probably what you would classify as more of a stay-at-home D-man, but he's somebody who understands his role and will do everything in his power to make sure that he is perfecting that role. Um, he was a massive part of our penalty kill this year. I don't know if I've seen somebody block more shots than him. Um, he is truly a warrior when it comes to the way he plays. Um, he will sh shut down and frustrate other teams, top guys. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He's probably six, four, six, five. Um, and he plays that role, like I said, to perfection. Um, and then what you could expect from him in the locker room off the ice. Um, like I said, he's one of the best leaders that I've ever played with. Although he didn't wear the C, uh, you know, in Stockton, he was, you know, right there with Byron Fraze and his leadership. Um, he's won a Calder Cup before. He knows what it takes. Um, he knows the way that the team needs to play. He knows the way that guys need to come together. Um, so I think he'll be a fantastic addition. I was thrilled for him when I found out he was signing in Nashville. I called him straight away. Um, I told him he's going to absolutely love Milwaukee. He's going to love the city. He's going to love the fans. Um, I talked to Scott Ford about him, uh, after he signed <laughs> and let Ford know that he had a good one coming his way and to make sure he took good care of him. Um, he so sounds a little bit like Fordo, to be honest. Seriously. He's, uh, you, you guys are going to love him. He's hilarious. Uh, but he's got that serious side to him and you know, it's time for business. It's, it's time to go. Um, you guys are going to love him. Scott Ford's going to love him. Um, you know, speaking of Scott Ford, miss that guy. Uh, yeah. what, what a, um, you know, he was a remarkable guy for me as well to learn from coming in. Um, you know, he didn't have it the easy way. Um, you know, he taught me about hard work and, uh, passion and, um, yeah. So a quick little shout out to him. Um, I hope I'll see him this year at some point and, and be able to catch up with him and you guys as well. Um, you know, hopefully if I'm in San Diego, they make a trip out there and, and vice versa. And we can, uh, you know, catch up. You know, we'll come down to, we'll come down to Chicago on the trip to uh, that Anaheim makes to Chicago. We'll do right. that. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, we'll think, we'll I'm looking that way. 
I'm looking right now, San Diego, we play San Diego twice. That's January 6th and 7th. So great time for San Diego to visit Milwaukee right in uh, the middle of January. Right in the dead uh, of winter. Right in the dead of winter. So uh, we, we definitely want to see you if you're there then. But if not, like Aaron said, we will make the trip to Chicago for sure <laughs> to get down to uh, to see the Ducks play uh, the Blackhawks. We always uh, we always finish these, Justin, by asking uh, our guests, when you think of Milwaukee, what do you think of? Um, pretty hard, pretty hard for me to narrow it down to one thing. So I'm, I'm going to give you a two-part answer. The first thing I think of is Harris Tur and what he brings to the organization. Um, the family aspect that he has built there amongst, you know, the front office, the staff, and that trickles down to the team and the players. Um, his generosity and obviously his, you know, his connections with the other sports teams around, um, he made sure that guys were able to enjoy themselves outside of the rink, uh, whether that be Milwaukee Bucks games, uh, you guys remember going to the Brewers games on opening, opening weekend, things like that, that may seem just like a day or two here or there, but what a difference that makes for the guys on the team and you know, when you're in a city where you're plopped there for seven months, um, Harris did such a fantastic job in making it that uh, you really felt like you're part of the Admiral family. Um, so, you know, a, a huge thanks to him. He's somebody that I've talked to um, a little bit over the years and somebody I hope to stay in touch with. Um, you guys know what it's like, you know, working for him, seeing him on a daily basis. He's a uh, down to the earth, um, truly a one of a kind person. Um, so I think he's probably one of the first things that come to mind. Um, and then the other part would be the fans and the city. Um, obviously maybe Milwaukee is not the best known about city in the American hockey league, but what I've told all my teammates over the years is Milwaukee is a hidden gem in the Midwest. Um, we had so many good memories of, you know, whether it's dinners or, you know, a, a few pops after a game at, you know, one of the local spots. Um, it's really a, a blue collar style where you really feel like you're just a part of it. Um, you know, my wife made one of her best friends in her life. Um, she's Milwaukee. She's from Milwaukee um, or lives there now. Um, you know, we've, we've made friends outside of the hockey bubble from Milwaukee um, who are still dear to us to, to this day. Um, you know, people, uh, my security, uh, concierge in the buckler, the first two years I lived there, uh, Chris Warwall is one of the closest friends to this day. I got to see him when we played in Chicago. Um, you know, it's, it's the city and the atmosphere and, you know, just feeling like you belong when you're there. Um, it's an awesome sports city. I tell all the guys, you have to go there and check it out. You know, if you play there, go to this restaurant or check out this little pub. Um, it was, you know, three years. I was, I was younger at the time, but it was three years where I absolutely cherished every single moment there. Um, not every moment was easy. And there were times where it felt like, you know, am I, you know, am I doing the right thing? Um, you know, pursuing this and, you know, there's times you get down on yourself, but Man, that organization, uh, you know, Milwaukee's organization that Harris has put together and, uh, you know, that in the city of Milwaukee uh, made those three years so special for me. Um, obviously, you know, my teammates had a huge part to do with that. The staff had a huge part to do with that. You guys had a big part to do with that. Um, so thank you guys. Um, and, you know, a big thanks to Harris for truly making it a very, very special place to play. And I hope more players get to experience it the way that I did. Well, Thank you Neighbors. for all uh, all the time you've given us on this. Thank you for uh, for uh, uh, so much. I mean, you've always been gracious with me with your time and um, gave great answers and and all of that, and very thoughtful. And, and uh, we, I really appreciate that as the the, the play by play announcer who needs to fill three four minutes here and there uh, yeah. during the broadcast. Um, it was great to see you. I'm very happy for you the way your career has taken off. Uh, I'm excited for your opportunity in Anaheim. The best to your family and uh, look forward to seeing you hopefully real soon. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate that. All right. That's Justin Kirkland. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.